Welcome to Connect with Causeway. I'm your host, Therese Mulvey, Vice President of Strategy at Causeway Solutions. We're happy to welcome back our VP of Insight, Tim Dewar. Hello, Tim. Hello. Great to be with you again. I'm also joined by our Manager of Strategic Partnerships, Lauren Kornick. Welcome back, Lauren. Hi, Therese. As always, our goal is to simplify the sometimes intimidating world of data and discuss how you can use it to positively impact your business goals. So today we're going to look at the future of marketing segmentation, how segmentation drives smarter marketing, and what you need to be aware of. I recently saw a World Federation of Advertisers study that talked about 30% of major advertisers saying that they're cutting their ad budgets this year. And I think anybody who's been in the advertising business knows that ultimately everybody's always trying to figure out how to make their ad dollars work better and how to make marketing smarter. And I don't think anyone's ever really answered that question fully, but we continue to try to make it more and more effective for you. And over the last 50 years, I think, you know, there's been many, many different ways of looking at this, but the thing that really keeps changing currently and most quickly is the toolbox that we have to effectively make our marketing better. So we're going to talk a little bit about segmentation today and how that piece of the toolbox is so important. And I know, Tim, you're working on some new stuff. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with segmentation right now? Sure. I, I love the idea that we need to make things sound really simple. We bring me on as the guest. I don't know if I'm going to take <laughs> well, that as a, a credit or as an these insult. These people don't know you that well, Tim. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think really the key for me is segmentation has historically been the way advertisers have moved towards saving some dollars by not trying to reach the entirety of the entire planet with every message, but instead recognizing if you can identify your core audience, you really can get a lot more for your dollar. But the reality is, you know, in the current state of advertising is that you've really got to get more because the cost savings is becoming essential. You know, not only do clients and customers expect more personalized messaging that's really driving towards a core audience, but they really just don't have the dollars in many cases right now. And we'll talk about that a little, probably a little bit as we go. But some of these industries just that they're the dollars are drying up when it comes to marketing and communications, and they've got to do more with less. But I think the key is prior to where we're at right now, most segmentation was really limited to something like geographics or demographics only. You know, you could choose to pick a older audience, a younger audience, maybe by the geography, things like that. And you were really left at surface level interpretations only, you know, age, gender, income, education, things like that, that were known about a consumer on the receiving end. And I think that's what really excites me about what we've been doing lately is trying to take that to the next step and consider more about the consumer themselves as a person, you know, as a recipient of these messages rather than just what they look like on the surface. It's a saying we keep saying for the last couple of months now that segmented marketing is smarter marketing. And we have a client example, I think, Tim, that you're going to go into more detail later, but it's about targeting more surefire potential customers instead of that billboard marketing we talked about last time where you're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing who sticks. No, absolutely. I mean, that's it. So, you know, we talked a little bit on the last episode I was on, if anybody listened to it, that my background really is unique that I came from the healthcare world. And not only just the healthcare world in general as a marketer, it was really more the healthcare world as a practicing clinician. But we were a pediatric health system. And so it was easy to segment to one level where we could say, find people that have children, and maybe we would include an income bracket if we were looking for a commercial product versus Medicaid products. But really, it was if you had children, and that was our segmentation. Um, so billboards could work, and that's all they would be able to do is pick an area that 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 can reach potential parents, et cetera. 
But now the key is we're doing so much more with the audiences we're working with now in healthcare, figuring out what is their motivator, what's their driver to actually make a healthcare choice. And these things have little to nothing to do with their actual known demographics. Those are the last type of segmentation we do rather than the only segmentation we're able to do. And that's really exciting to me. I think you make a really good point, Tim. But one thing that I kind of want to pull into this conversation is the idea about push and pull marketing. You know, as the representative baby boomer on this call, uh, I remember the world before digital when there was more focus on push marketing. And now that we do have pull marketing, I sometimes feel like We've gotten a little bit lazy because we have all this information about the people who are there, and we tend to lean on that. But what about the people that don't know that they want whatever it is that we have to sell? And you know, how do you really get more specifically targeted and also communicating effectively with them? Yeah, I wasn't going to play the OK Boomer card to you, but but you're right. Yes. Well, I did it. I did it. I, you're you, okay. I like when you set yourself up, and I don't have to be that guy. Um, I love boomers. There you Tim, go. Right. We're a great. We're a great generation. Okay, I'll, I'll play the resident Gen Xer and just say nobody understands me, and it's all different. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I think that's right, though, Therese. Really, I mean, it's been amazing advances in personalized messaging that's happened because of digital advertising, and that, that's phenomenal. But it really, you're right. If I'm constantly mentally flip-flopping of how not to mess up push and pull marketing. But pull marketing really in the sense that somebody's going to put something in Google and they're going to use search engine optimization and you're going to find them or they put something in their shopping cart online and now you can retarget them forever, right? And there's been commercials and there's been memes about the idea that, oh, well, I looked for one thing and now that's going to follow me around for the next six months. That's great. And that does work, but that really crosses over a little bit more into retention that you you're already in the client is already in your bubble at that point exactly. and people yeah and i think what you're saying with the, the laziness is right because really nobody's had to worry about the true top of funnel how do i get somebody interested in my product before they've thought about it um, because so much time effort and money has gone towards that retargeting piece of once somebody lands there let's just keep going i think the other flip of that and we've had lots of talks about this internally lately is sort of Eventually, at some point, third-party data goes away. It's kind of been circling the drain, but it hasn't happened yet. And with all of that happening, what do you do when you now can't count on that information to be constantly fed to a marketing team? And you have to start relying on finding your own customers more. Um, The reality is budgets aren't going to go up to match that. The expectations are going to be the same for marketing teams, but now they've got one less tool in their toolbox. And anything we can do to help them is is really where we're trying to go. And that's when I I get excited about the ideas of moving beyond demographics and learning more about the customer or patient's potential decision-making and how we can help move things further up that funnel. I think it's when you're really thankful you have a baby boomer on the team who knows how to live without this data. (laughs) It it is. I just watched Survivor last week. Maybe that's it. You need need to be our our, our resident. Exactly. All right. So how is it that we uh, can help our listeners and people out there in general to make sure they get to the target audience who may not be in their cookies or in any other snacks? (laughs) I think honestly, you know, just like we did in the last call, I think if I spin it back to healthcare first, to me, healthcare is really the the market that has the most need for this right now. Um, and I don't just say that because that's where my history is. It's that is a a marketplace right now that really is going to sh- has been struggling and is going to continue to struggle from a statistic standpoint. 
you know, I saw a report last month from the American Hospital Association that more than 50% of health systems had a negative profit margin in 2022. And these are systems that typically margins were only running three to 5% for most hospitals. So the fact that more than half of them are negative means they just don't have much to work with. Kaufman and Hall showed that 2022, if you skip COVID and go all the way back to 2019, the performance there in profitability was 26% worse as an industry for hospitals. Um, so they are really hurting right now. Decreased volume, decreased revenue. But the reality is no C-suite is changing their expectations, right? They need these customers to come back. So while the revenue might not be there, we're hearing that marketing teams have their, their dollars cut, but the expectations are still exactly the same. So they are really forced at this point to be more efficient, more effective, and do whatever they can. The other reason I think healthcare is a great example here is because unlike some other sectors, healthcare doesn't have the opportunity to retarget and use cookies nearly as much. If I'm a known patient of a hospital, for good reason, HIPAA protections don't allow that hospital to use my information as a known patient to market items to me. It's not like when I walk into my grocery store, I'm basically giving every purchase away to say, you know, if I bought tortilla chips, push some salsa to me, that doesn't exist in healthcare world. They can't use that information. So they really are, are kind of getting a double whammy right now of high expectations and even less data to work from. So that that's a group that I really think we can do a lot of work with right now. Yeah, and our segmentation it gets, like you were saying, kind of a more bang for your buck. And not to bring math into this, but to get 10% of 1 million people who may be vaguely in that group you're looking for versus 50% of 200,000 people who are genuinely interested in it. It's the same amount of people, but higher potential, but with that affordable effort of only needing to contact a smaller amount but with higher returns. No, exactly. And that's it. You know, I was going through some of the numbers with one of our larger hospital clients. And basically, once they use some of our models that we supply to them of finding out who's the most likely to be interested in their hospital, you know, so taking a campaign where maybe they are just, it's a cardiac campaign, for instance, and they're aiming just at people from the ages of 30 to 70. And demographically, that's a very appropriate audience to, to look towards. But by applying something like modeling of who's likely to choose their health system, they can cut that number immediately down by, by 40%. And if you can cut a number by 40%, just think about it. Now, right away, you're taking out all of that excess, you know, that potentially is wasted marketing dollars and just saying, let's get to 40% less of an audience and deliver the same exact message. And we've saved ourselves a whole lot of money right there alone. But the key is we can also follow up with them and see that the return on that investment looks clean. They're actually getting better return, better click-through rates, better likelihood to follow up with some of that messaging because we already are getting down to the audience that we know is most likely to be responsive. And then it becomes a comfort that they're shrinking their budget that they can, not that they have to. Yeah. Um, and I honestly think that's one of the most interesting conversations I've had. And I've become much more empathetic towards that, that while some of these marketing teams we work with are our first task with the idea of please shrink your budget, do more with less, and we can certainly help with that. It, it is challenging that it's uncomfortable for the idea for them to report up and say, hey, we reached 40% of the audience we did last year. And, and you know, certain service line managers might be freaking out about that, right? You're, you're reaching less people. How are we going to get more patients? Um, I think some people, you know, to go back to what you said earlier, Therese, people have gotten lazy about some of these marketing pieces, unfortunately, and very obvious metrics are in front of people saying, hey, we reached X number of people. Well, if you divide that X by 40%, all of a sudden they get a little concerned over we're reaching less people. So it is a challenge right now, I think, as the as the whole marketplace shifts over in this marketing communications world right now. Well, and I also think, you know, you really have to figure out where the dollars went, right? So, I mean, if it's going into an acquisition, you can afford to spend more to get a new 
patient or, you know, something. Whereas if it's just going into talking to people you already know, that's a whole different story and just comes back to analytics and math and everything else that we love to talk about, which is, you know, really paying attention to what is doing what. Hopefully that can be a future episode of the podcast here. But I think that's really key right now is how do we track the attribution and really start showing exactly. more about the, that return on investment beyond just clicks and things like that, you know, the vanity metrics people speak of. Um, and I think that's what's coming up next. If, for people to get comfortable with smaller impressions and smaller reach, you've got to still show the, uh, the results are the same or better. Exactly. Because if the clicks don't make you any money, then... That's not a good click. <laughs> and in most industry, it's not the click that's making you the dollars. There's got to be something else that follows. But that's exactly. probably for another time, we'll have that discussion. Yeah, but not all uh, industries are experiencing those poor financials or anything, uh, but they still need this good planning. They still need customer profiles. Uh, it's a topic that I know quite well for the last month after traveling three times. But for travel specifically, ad spend's actually not only bouncing back, but in 2024, it's even set to increase exponentially. That's a good segue, Lauren, because you know what? Nobody wants to go to the hospital and everybody wants to travel. So let's pivot because both industries have reasons that they need this type of data and analytics, but they're really, really different, which is what we always like to do is to have some comparisons and contrasts to illustrate how the same basic type of information or data can be applied in really different ways or can be utilized in really different ways depending on what the needs of the industry are. Yeah, so the industry is something that's bouncing back not only to just pre-pandemic levels, but even higher. So we even had some old surveys where back in 2020, you had about 8% of the population who felt comfortable about flying and only about a quarter of adults over 55 who even wanted to drive for a vacation in 2020. But now you have twice, three times over percentages who feel the same now. People are ready. And I think it was an industry term that put it as vacationing with a vengeance. After one <laughs> or two years of being cooped up, you want to not just vacation, but vacation hard, vacation long, and vacation expensively. That's intense vacationing. That's exciting to hear, Lauren. I know the industry is complex and it faces a lot of challenges. Finding the perfect customer for the exact trip or vacation uh, that you're marketing is going to be very specific. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the research that we've done around that. I know that you've got some other information that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So in all of my travels I've done, I've done, I went down a rabbit hole looking at all of the concerns and issues and interests that go into this. But vacationing specifically has so many things going into it. So first of all, just on a bare demographic level, millennials and Gen Z have now taken over the largest population of people who are going on vacation. And millennials aren't even going by themselves. They're having kids. We're talking under 10, under five, and it's really influencing where they're going and when they're going. Then you've got behavioral observations. So the customer profile why are they going where are they going? Why are they booking this hotel versus this hotel? Does it have a spa? Does it have a gym? Those kinds of concerns. And then the basic concerns like just the economy of vacations are costing more, not only compared to what 2019 is, but it's just more because of economic troubles. And people are expecting to pay more and they are paying more. And then you even have just normal concerns like, Oh, is my plane going to be delayed? Is something going to happen? And all of those concerns that are going into when people are making a vacation or booking travel, et cetera. 
All those things make me a little bit anxious about traveling, <laughs> but I know it's still fun. One of my favorite things to do when I travel is food tours. Are those still popular? It's funny. On one of my travels, I went to a panel and they were talking about vacationing specifically. And they said one thing that's booming is the food traveling market. And I know Tim has some information about this group later as well. But half of the people who are planning vacations are planning them specifically about food. So it's either they're going on food tours, tastings, or they have the local cuisine of where they're going in mind. They're not coming to Louisiana to try some Chinese or anything. They're going for the seafood. And in addition to that, you have some other categories of people who are concerned with when they're traveling with food. Are they traveling with food because they're going on a friend's vacation or a family vacation? About the same amount of people who say that they're going vacationing with their children are planning a vacation with their friends. And when they're going with their friends, they're also reporting that it's not just to hang out with friends, it's thrill-seeking specifically. So 70% of those millennials and Gen Z said that they're specifically going on a travel experience with their friends and family because they've never been there or they've never known anyone who's been there. So there's a lot of these categories that are going into why a person's vacationing other than, oh, I just want a break from the monotony. Yeah, I think that is interesting. And really, the contrast of something like travel, which fine, I guess it's much more entertaining to talk about than healthcare. But um, but it is really unique versus healthcare. There's sort of a, a level of desperation in the marketing. I think the difference right now is, <laughs> like you said, travel is everybody's competing for these dollars because of these uh, – I love that term. Would you call it a vengeful tourism or vacation with a vengeance? vengeance. (laughs) I'm going to tell my credit card statement that now after uh, after we just came back from a family vacation. It was (laughs) vacationing with a vengeance. It's all fine. And you're right. And so now the key for these types of audiences are how can certain travel agencies or hotels or, or different people tied into the tourism industry, how can they capitalize on the differentiation between different audiences? And like Lauren said, one that really stood out to me was sort of that food tourism piece. And Therese, since you've already dated yourself as a boomer, I, I'm going to throw this in there that it, not surprisingly, that is one group actually where it is really a little, excuse, a little older still right now. We've developed some internal models and that is one group that at the moment still is very heavily populated by sort of the greater than 54 years old. So I'm thinking Therese is averaging like 54 and a half right now. We'll say she's just well, past that I'm line. like 53 and a half. Okay. Yeah. So she's in that age group, but I think that really does show that that is a group that there is a group that is there and food is why they're traveling, but right now that still skews a little older. But interestingly, the distribution of income really breaks down across the board, which surprised me. Um, so food tourism can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so really it's everybody that is sort of in a household income of $50,000 or above still falls into that. It's it's not this high-end sort of uh, – let me go to the fanciest restaurant. There's a bigger opportunity there. On the flip side, you know, Lauren, you talked a little bit about the the millennial traveler, and it might be easy to assume by age, you kind of know what they're looking for. But one group that we looked at specifically that I really think is pretty cool is who likes to travel alone, um, right? Because somebody, just because they are married, maybe they still want to get out and travel by themselves away from the spouse. On the flip side, there's plenty of people that are single, but would rather travel with friends than travel alone. So we actually ran some research to develop a specific group of who likes to travel by themselves, because that messaging really should look different than promoting a family vacation to everybody, just assuming the demographics tell you that what you want. Solo travelers, we actually found almost 6 million people across the country that that is their preference when they travel. Um, And this one skewed kind of across the board when it came to age. There's sort of a mix of older travelers as well as millennial travelers, both looking to make that trip by themselves. 
And then the part I thought was more interesting is, is there's really very little correlation with income. You know, across the board, there, there's a mixed bag of people that that's what they really enjoy. But again, I think what's interesting is if you just took demographics alone and assumed it's people that aren't married are the only ones that travel solo, people that have a higher income are the only ones that travel solo, or any other assumption people make, you kind of miss the the boat on this one. You really have to be thoughtful of putting some effort into learning and using sort of more of these national models that we've been running to figure out why does someone travel as opposed to just making assumptions based on on the surface level view you have of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what I love so much about research is, especially with something like travel where it is so personal, you do assume a lot of times I think that, oh, this is what I like to do. So this is what somebody else wants to do. And I know a lot of people who travel alone. I don't personally like doing that, but there's a lot of benefits to it. And and then they can go on a food tour with other people. Just saying. Is that an invitation to us? Uh, I love food okay. tours. So it's clear that from this discussion, the importance of segmentation is not only about the customer, but also about the industry. Because if you're in healthcare versus travel, your challenges are opposite, which we really just talked about. Yeah, and I think that's the key, but it, it doesn't make the uh, idea of smart segmentation any less impactful or important now. Absolutely. A healthcare audience needs to be smarter with their dollars. They just don't have the dollars at the moment to spend. And there's plenty of other industries we could use as an example there as well. But but sometimes it is all about that efficiency with the, the dollars and meeting the bottom line. On the other hand, an industry like travel who was you know really, really struggling over the past few years now has an influx of potential. But the reality is if everybody's trying to fight for the same potential traveler, how do you differentiate yourself? You know, How can somebody be the one that gets out ahead of the curve and really recognizes exactly what a certain traveler needs? How, how does somebody be the first one to send Therese the food tourism package that she's been dying to, get, to receive as opposed to just packaging it up with every other you know consumer getting the same message? And I think that's the key. When you recognize the benefits either from a cost savings or from an efficiency by really personalizing some messaging through modeling and understanding of somebody's beliefs, it's really a game changer to the future of marketing at this point. Whether you're segmenting because of a need in your budget or as a strategy to navigate your complicated consumer base, having a profile of your customer and having a plan to target them specifically is really the only way to go for the future. It's the best way. It's the only way. And like we said before, segmented marketing is the smarter marketing. I think that could be my future uh, spring break travel tattoo I'm going to get, Lauren, now is the uh, segmented marketing is smarter marketing. That's the causeway way now. I think that tattoo is really going to look great, Tim. Well, thank you, Tim and Lauren. It's great information. and It's always so fun to talk to you both. Thank you to all of you and our audience for joining us. Just as a reminder, we really want to hear from you. We would love to know if there's something that you wish we would ask about. We do do a monthly survey. So if there's something that you feel is really important or interesting, drop us a line and we will definitely consider including that in a survey. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Connect with Causeway. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and tune in again for our next episode in May. 